Good morning. I've been told this only works in the middle of nowhere, so I'm going to try it and see if it works. All right? God is good. And all the time. Amen and amen. So it apparently works also in places that are on the map, because Toledo's on the map. It's just in Ohio, not in Oregon. Um, All right, well, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, While you're doing it, I am going to pray. Gracious God, you have given us a day to rise, to come, to worship you, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have right hearts, right minds, to, to, to find our joy in you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So I'm assuming you're still turning in your Bibles because you've got to close your eyes to pray. Um, I, so you, you guys know I used to drive school bus. And there was this one kid who was a little bit of a problem. Uh, I drove a lot of these little bit of problem kids. But there was this one kid, his problem was he always wanted to be a backseat driver. He always wanted to tell me how to get to his house, which would have worked if I were walking. But I'm not walking, I'm driving a school bus. And the way that Jervis is, is there's a train track that goes right through the middle of town. And you have to go over the train track uh, in, in, on these two spots in order to get to his place. And this kid, this kid, every single day I'd drive him home, he'd be like, bus driver, bus driver, let me tell you how to get home. And I'd be like, no, no, buddy, I got to follow my route. I, I, <laughs> I got I to gotta go the right way. Otherwise, other kids don't get home. And he, you know, every day, bus driver, bus driver, am I going to get home quicker? I know how to get home. Let me tell you how. And... It was just frustrating. And this kid was so cute. Like, he just got away with murder. Uh, and, and he would let, like, every other bus driver, like, they'd be like, yeah, go ahead and tell me. And then they'd miss the turn. And they're like, oh, no, I missed the turn. Like, you know, make it fun for him. Me, I'm like, go sit in the back. So anyway, that <laughs> different, different personalities. But if I would have followed him, if I would have done what he said, I would have gone off course. I wouldn't have gotten other kids home. I wouldn't have done things that I needed to do. Um, And frankly, it wouldn't have gone well. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23. And in it, the apostle Peter, he tries to direct Jesus's route. He tries to tell Jesus, this is the way we should go. This is what you need to do. This, and, and Jesus knows already what he needs to do. He knows the route he's going to take. He's even letting the disciples know it. But Peter is trying to be a backseat driver. Uh, so I'm assuming by now you've all made it to Matthew chapter 16. If you are in Matthew chapter 16 in your Bible, say, I got it. I got it. Nice. I don't. Anyway, all right, (laughs) so verses 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is the word of the Lord. This section comes uh, as kind of a, a narrative surprise. If you remember last week, we, we heard about how Peter's the rock, right? He's, uh, he's not Dwayne the, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He's the rock, meaning the one, the, the, the one whom, whom Jesus is making a famous wordplay. You are, are uh, Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. So, so now, now Peter is not a rock, He's a stumbling block. And this is no accident of Matthew. Matthew's not just like, you know, he doesn't just write the gospel and he writes in this section and he goes, he goes, oh, right, but there was that one time that Peter was a total doofus and I should probably put this in here. Uh, Matthew, Matthew's not just remembering it off the top of his head. He's actually making a point. He's making a point of Peter that, frankly, even the... Even the most loyal servant, even the most loyal disciple of Jesus, who does the, you know, um, leave him and, and let him die. But, you know, beyond that, the most loyal dude can screw up and become a problem. So uh, let's go through this a little bit. In the first verse, so Matthew 16, 21 Notice, notice the way this begins. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. To anyone who's been in church for more than a week, you know that's the gospel story. Jesus, Jesus was showing this to his disciples. He, wasn't, he didn't just let it all happen and the disciples were like, oh... Oh man, I, I had no clue. No, he, he was telling it to them. He was letting them know. He was saying, this is the route we're on. These are the stops I'm taking. This is what's going to happen. Christ tells his apostles what to expect um, throughout the rest of the New Testament as well. So even after, even after he's raised from the grave, ascends to heaven, his, his disciples have an idea of what's going to happen. And, and in fact, they, he, he lets everyone know, like, you're going to suffer. And of all people, Peter writes one of my favorite sections on suffering. He writes in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, he says, Beloved, be surprised at the fiery trial. Oh, wait, no, that's actually, that's actually not what he says. Sorry, let me reread that. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, uh, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Just think about that. The disciples were prepared for Jesus' suffering. And throughout the whole of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is preparing them for suffering. And instead of at, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, at the, end, at the end of it all, Peter is actually telling other Christians, hey, guess what? This is good. It's good for you to suffer. You're not suffering on your own. You're sharing Christ's sufferings. And also the sufferings exist so that you can rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
Unlike us, Christ didn't need suffering as a guide to rejoicing. Uh, but instead, his purpose of suffering was to secure our joy in him. The suffering that Jesus had to go through is the avenue by which, by, by, by which God is securing salvation for people. It's the avenue that, to, to fulfill the new covenant, to bring in a new heart. I'm sure you guys have heard these verses before. Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant that I, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Or Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you, give you a heart of flesh. See, Jesus came into this world knowing these things. He, he knew that this was what he had to do. This was his mission. This was, what, this was what all his ministry was about, to suffer in order to secure joy and glory for God's people. But Peter didn't see it that way yet, obviously. He didn't, he didn't know as much as we know now. And, and instead of just humbly going along with what Jesus says, instead of accepting Jesus' redemptive plan, he tries to stand in Jesus' way. Verse 22 again, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, we can read that a little wrong. Now, Peter's not grabbing Jesus by the collar, dragging him behind a tree and saying, Now, you listen here, Jesus. No, actually, the, the taking him aside is kind of a funny translation of this word, but there's not really a way to translate it any other, any other way. What, what, what this is saying is that Jesus is, is welcoming Jesus aside. That doesn't really make sense to our modern ears. So the best way to think about it would be Peter going, Hey, hey, Jesus, can I, can I talk to you for a second? Can, I, can, can, we, can we talk about what you're saying? See, he's, he, Peter thinks he's in the right here. Peter thinks he knows what's going on. And Peter, Peter, Peter knows the route. He, he knows that this can't be right. Oh, Jesus, you're so negative. Why can't you be more positive? So, so Peter's taking Jesus aside, and Jesus very, very caringly goes along with his friend, and, and his friend begins to rebuke him. And a rebuke doesn't have to be a harsh word. It can be a soft word, right? And, and even the way he says it, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And the, the, the thrust of the Greek here is actually more like, Lord, have mercy. Let this never, or, uh, Lord, have mercy. This, this can't happen to you. Peter, P Peter loves his master and he doesn't want Jesus to die and he doesn't want these things to happen. And so, so he says, he says this, this Greek phrase that doesn't translate well. Uh, it's, it's, it, he says, Heleos. That, that far be it in the ESV, far be it from you, Lord, he just says, Hileos, which is like, God forbid, God forbid this happen. Well, that's ironic. It's ironic because this is actually God's plan. Jesus knows God's plan. And so Peter's kind of like not really invoking the name of God, but he's implying, you know, Lord, Lord, let this not happen. Don't let this happen. 
And Peter really, really thinks that he's doing Jesus a favor here. And I find it ironic because it, how, how often in your life do you find yourself praying against God's plan? You see a storm coming like we have outside and, and, and you pray, Lord, please, please, you can't let this happen to me. You, you, I can't go through this. I don't know how I'm going to go through this. And we assert what's best because we know better than God, which is an absolute lie. What we should do is we should not be like Peter in these verses. We should should be humble. We We should understand that we don't know what's best. And we should submit to God's plans. Now, Peter's statement actually gets a little bit more arrogant. Uh, He says, it shall never happen to you, is the way the ESV translates it. It's an emphatic indicative. The indicative is the case of reality, right? If I were to say, this is made of wood, it's the indicative. It's the case of reality. This, it, it, if, if it were made of plastic and I said this is made of wood, then I'd be foolish, but I'd be still speaking in the indicative. And that's what Peter's doing. He's being foolish. He's speaking in the indicative. He's saying, this shall never happen to you. It is not a possibility. It is not even remotely real. So just think about that, the, the construction there. God forbid you shall never die. You shall never suffer from the hand of the chief priests. You shall, you shall never, never go before the elders and, and be killed. Peter's just being arrogant, man. Biblical, uh, biblical commentator Stuart Weber points out from this text, it, it was human nature to look for the easy road to triumph. But God's plan involved a deep valley on the way to victory. If that doesn't describe most of your lives in some capacity or another, then I pity you because frankly, frankly, it's when we're in that deep valley, when when we're brought low by the Lord that we understand how grand and glorious and wonderful he is. But in our text, Peter was arrogantly turning himself into a judge of God's plan. Ironically and unwittingly, he was making himself an enemy of his own salvation. He was acting like he knew, knew the root better uh, than Jesus. It's kind of like somebody, uh, so, somebody knowing exactly where you're going, right? Like, if, let's, say, let's say I told somebody, oh, I'm going to Toledo. And they go, oh, yeah, I know how to get there. Go ahead and head towards uh, I-84. And then if you take I-84 all the way east, you'll eventually get there. No, wrong Toledo. Wrong. That, thank you, but no. Or, or it's, it's like somebody who goes, listen, I know how to get there, and then they spend the whole time driving, staring at the speedometer. See how long that gets you. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't try that. Peter needed correction. And instead of just casting him out, giving him the boot, uh, shoving him away, he looks at his friend and he gives him exactly what he needs. So verse 23 begins. Uh, Peter, Peter gets rebuked by Jesus. So Peter tries to rebuke Jesus. And then instead of, uh, instead of his long live the king speech, 
which I, I really think that's what Peter's saying. He's like, no, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're going you're gonna to rise to power and you're going to overthrow Rome and you're going to usher in ser- security and safety for Israel. I, long live the king. I think that's what Peter was trying to say. I don't think he was trying to be a, a jerk. I don't think he was trying to be a tool. I think, I think he, he legitimately just cared for his friend and his master. So when Jesus replies to him, and he's probably like, yeah, Jesus, this is what I'm praying for you. And then Jesus replies, get behind me, Satan. I don't think he saw that coming. (laughs) I don't think he anticipated those words. And if we were to turn back to Matthew chapter 4, we'd find Jesus saying that to someone else. To Satan, straight to Satan. Get behind me, Satan. As another commentator noted on this passage, and this is a paraphrase, uh, Jesus regards anything that stands to frustrate his plans as coming from Satan, who is a sworn enemy to God's plan of salvation. See, there's only one person that would really, really want to end, uh, end the possibility of salvation. That's Satan, who's an enemy. His name means adversary or accuser. And for Peter to be compared to him, man, that's, that's got to be, be a punch right to the gut. Knock the wind out of you. And then Jesus goes on with this rebuke. He says, you are a hindrance to me. Remember, Peter, Peter's name, Kephas, means rock. His, his nickname, it means rock. And so when his name, Peter, Petros, right, is, is translated to the Greek, he's, he's the rock. But now he's a stumbling block, an obstacle, a hindrance. Now, I'm not sure if many of you could really describe it, but you all know what it is. But the, the English word scandal is from the word that Jesus is using here. He, he says, you are a hindrance, a scandalon which could also be translated as a trap or a tempter or a temptation. Peter Peter was trying to steer Jesus away from the path that he needed to be on, the things that he needed to do. He was creating a scandal. He was trying to trap Jesus. But Jesus would not be deterred, unlike Peter's declaration, this shall never happen to you. Jesus knew this is exactly how it's going to happen to me. He would not be deterred from the mission that was given by God. And when his own friend even tried to tempt him like Satan had, he didn't just resist the temptation, but he corrects his friend. Because it would be easy to just say, get behind me, Satan, kick him out of the twelve. See you later. You're done. Get out of here. You're a hindrance to me. But instead, because he loves Peter, because he loves Peter, he gives him the very reason of why this is not good. So while this reply is not what Peter expected, it was the one he needed. He needed the correction. As, as uh, Solomon writes in Proverbs 3.12, he, he says, The Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Good news, it seems like Peter received this rebuke, just for future reference. Otherwise, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have read from 1 Peter chapter 4. 
um, you wouldn't see him in the end. You wouldn't, you wouldn't see him in the end of the Gospels. So Peter seemed to realize that he needed to submit to God's plan. True humility results in a submissive and a humble heart towards God's sovereign rule and his plans. But we often try to take the wheel when we shouldn't. And I'm trying so hard not to sing a song in my head. And I think you can all... Anyway, got to move on, got to move on. <laughs> but we all try to, try to direct the route when we shouldn't. Instead, we should submit to what the Lord's will for us is in our own lives and in our church, in our, in our country, even if we don't like it, and we will stand opposed to certain things, but there are certain things that happen that we need to go, yeah, Lord, this is obviously you. I don't like it, but you are God. And remember I said that, that Jesus doesn't just leave Peter hanging. He doesn't boot him out. He gives him that reason, the, 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 the problem, the very problem that he, that, that's bringing him to rebuke Jesus and to stand against Jesus. And it's the end of verse 23. He says, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus is providing clear direction to what Peter and the rest of the apostles need to do. It's not to, it's not to, to, uh, to navel gaze, right? To, it's not to stare at their own belly button and consider how wise they are. It's not to get distracted by all the possible things that could happen. It's not, it's not to look at their teacher and go, Jesus, I don't want you to be right. Instead, he says, you need to set your mind on the things of God. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, Paul writes this. He says, if then, I love that. I love Paul's if then, leaving that little wiggle room for, for someone reading this letter that's just, you know, maybe they're not quite right or they're a wolf or they, they still need to be converted. If then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things or not on things that are on earth. For here's the reason, here's the ground why why am I able to do this? Why is this important? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We are not to set our minds on the things of man. We are not to set our minds on our own pride, on our own value, which I, I love how our culture pushes this now. You know, you are valuable. You are important. You can get motivational posters that have a, have a picture of a, a, a rock in a desert that says, you are the most important thing in the world, just like this rock. That's not really what it says, but that's, what I, that's how I read it. Like, I don't even know where the rock is. Who cares? Or, or a crashing wave coming down. You are strong enough to resist the wave. No, you're not. You're, you're, you're not that powerful. God is. If a wave comes crashing down on me, if I wanted to go surfing, which at that point it would be like a sea lion on a log, just for my size, but, but, but if I were to decide to go surfing and I missed, I missed going up a wave or a big wave is just coming down on me, I could try and surf all I want, but eventually the wave is going to come crashing down. And if I don't get out of the way, 
it'll take me under where all the great white sharks are, and that's why I don't surf. But, but I, I, don't, I don't have the strength. I don't have the value. But if I set my mind on the things of me and how important I am and how wonderful my name is, then I'm going to end up being a hindrance just like Peter. I'm going to end up being like the boy I used to drive on the bus. I'm going to act like I know the best route instead of relying on the driver. I'm going to be foolish every time because let me tell you, a school bus doesn't jump train tracks. It just doesn't, no matter how much you want it to. Listen, Jesus knows his plans. We need to set our minds and our eyes on him. It's like that, that wonderful old hymn, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Why? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We need to submit to God, not to ourselves. We need to do the mission that he puts us on. We need to go where he says go. We need to plant where he says plant. We need to grow where he says grow. And just like we were talking in Sunday school this morning, we cannot find our, our hope in things that are of earth and not God. If I find my hope in the things of earth, I will find that I am, I, I will start rotting. I will start getting despaired. And I, like Peter, will try and stand in the way of whatever God's plan is, ultimately being a hindrance and a fool. Do you know better than God? No. In fact, I want you to say that verbally. Do you know better than God? Because unless we know better than God, we should not pretend like we're capable of counseling him. Paul says it well in Romans 11. He, says, he, he bursts out into praise in the middle of this declaration of, of how the Jews and the Gentiles fit into God's plan. And he's basically saying, I don't really get it. But then he bursts into this sentence involving a proverb. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Inscrutable just means uh, they, they cannot be judged, right? So like if you, if you did perfect on a math test and you handed it into the teacher and a teacher tries to judge you for like not putting, not putting a plus mark as long as you should, that would, be, that would be stupid. But that's what we act like with God. We look at God's plans and we say, we try, we try to make them scrutable. We try saying, nah, God, nah, that can't be the way. And then Paul concludes, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Nobody. Nobody counsels the Lord. See, Peter's problem here was that he was only looking at what he thought would work best. He did not submit himself to his master's plan, which is why he, found, he felt so empowered to take his master aside and say, you know, no, God forbid this ever happened to you. 
He was unwittingly making himself an enemy of God, an enemy of God's plan, an enemy of God's plan of redemption, and consequently, like I said, his own salvation. How often do we stand in the way of our own, salva- or our own sanctification? I can guarantee you 100% of the time, if I am not growing in holiness, it's my fault, not God's. So let me ask you, what plans of God are you hindering? How are, how are you being a stumbling block to God's work of redemption? Where in your life are you keeping your eyes on the things of man and not the things of God? Because I'm thinking in, in the back of my head, probably when I watch all those Netflix shows or uh, you know, binge watch or, or when, I, when I get stuck in the news and all the bad news. Because if there's no bad news, people just make it up anyway and they just make it bad anyway. Kitten rescued from tree brutally by firefighter. So sad. Anyway. So where are you keeping your eyes on the things of man and not the things of God? Where are you pretending that you're worthy to give the Lord counsel? Where in your life do you need to hear the Lord's rebuke here? Get behind me, Satan. Satan, you're a hindrance to me. Because the reality is, if you're not a help, you're a hindrance. Those that love to be hindrances love to, to sow discord and division and, and trouble. And this comes from a guy who is innately a naysayer. I remember, I, so I, I was at this little church in Beaverton called Somerset Christian Church. And because I was young, they kept putting me on things as if I was capable of doing them. Uh, like, you know, you're young, do the soundboard. You know how to do the soundboard. Ironically, I do. You're young. Why don't you play in the band? Playing what? Here's a, here's a two-tone drum. You can do this. Don't you want to learn how to do the finance team, how to do budgets? Like the, These were all things that they just kept putting me into. But, but every meeting we'd have, every single time I'd sit down with the pastor and he'd be dreaming of things that, that, that uh, we could do as a church, I was almost always the one that would, that would like behind closed doors say, do you really think that'll work? Do you really think that this will be a good idea? Do you really think that that can be following through? And I remember one time uh, my pastor, his name was Jim. Jim was like, was like why, why do you keep doing that? I was like, well, I just want to set myself up because the irony was, that even though I might stand against it, like the Easter egg hunt, we did this Easter egg hunt and the pastor's son would dress up as a giant Easter bunny. And when I say giant, I mean like, like the head was as big as the body. And I really didn't understand how he made this thing stay on it. But even though I was the guy that would say, should we really hope, hope that this is gonna build the church? I was also always the only guy that would show up. I was the only guy that was ever really there, and Jim was just flabbergasted by that, where, where I would be the one that would be like, okay, logistically, here's what we need to do. We need to be praying for this, and you know, Jim, Jim used to joke, he's like, you're both the problem and the problem solver at the exact same time. And it just, it, 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 it made me smile because, again, I was, I was the one that would show up every, to every single event, and then I got married, and then I didn't show up quite as much. But I knew that if I wasn't a help, I was a hindrance. 
I knew that, that if I was trying to tell everyone we should not do this because of X, Y, and Z, or we should not do this, I was basically just sowing division and discord, and I needed to repent. I needed to read this text and think, I'm not setting my mind on the things of God. I'm not, I'm not wanting to glorify him and worship him. I'm pretending like I know better. Where are you seeking your own gain, your own fame, or being a stumbling block to God's plan of redemption? In your own family, in the church, in the town? Because if you're unwilling to repent of your own sin, of trying to hinder that which God has already set forth, then you're a stumbling block to your own salvation and sanctification. I want to close this sermon with Paul's words to the Colossians again, because, because they really have the best application of what Jesus is saying here. They have the best application of this rebuke that Jesus gives to Peter. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Lord, anybody that's yours does not want to hinder. And, and the fact is that because of our fallen nature, we, we try. We try to hinder your plans like, like sheep that stand in the way of opening the gate to let us go out to pasture. We do dumb things. So God, I pray that you would, you would work in us to help us see what your plan is, to delight in you, to set our eyes and our minds on the things that are, that are of you and, and in you. The joy, the constant joy that this world sucks out of us like a vacuum. God, refill our joy. Let us remember that you are on the mission of redeeming Toledo with your gospel. You're on the mission of, of, of working through us as a, as a gospel outpost so that we can see fruit take root here, even here. God, help us. Set our minds on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, our text doesn't say why Peter opposed Jesus, why he wanted to be a hindrance. But I'm going to take a wild guess, just knowing human nature. It's because he didn't want things to change. He didn't want to move forward. He wanted to stay stuck. And that's what a hindrance does. It's like an anchor. So pray this week about how we can avoid or how you can avoid being a hindrance to God's plans of redemption how we can set our minds on the things of God and not on the things of man. Go in peace, saints.